Okay. I will be using some quotes uh, that, I may have, that you may have heard me use uh, last year when we spoke about the virtues, and I gave the talk on Our Lady as the model of virtues. I'm going to pull some of those back in, just a few of them from like C.S. Lewis and one from um, Benjamin Franklin. Two works, though, that I'm going to use that are the basis for this talk are a little work by Father um, Cajetan Mary da Bergamo. It was translated by Cardinal Vaughn. Yes. There, you can't hear. Sure, I'd be happy to. Let's see if this is any better. Can you hear better there? Okay, let's use that. All right. Yes, it's D A space B E R G A M O. Father Cajetan Mary da Bergamo, and it's translated by uh, Henry, or Herbert rather, Cardinal Vaughan. It's simply called Humility of Heart. It's an excellent work. It's published by Tan. And the first part of it is just a reflection on the virtue of humility. I know the talk is on pride, but we're, you can't talk on pride without talking about the positive virtue unless you want to get uh, fall into despair. Uh, humility of heart. And then at the end of it, there's a particular good doctrinal section on St. Thomas, kind of summarizing St. Thomas of Aquinas on humility. There's also an examination of humility in regards to others, an examination of humility in regards to God. Uh, this work is fantastic. In fact, it could be the whole basis of somebody's spirituality. The other work comes from a major uh, volume by uh, a philosopher very famous for his opposition to Hitler. He wrote during the years he was in Austria, Dietrich von Hildebrand. This is called Transformation in Christ. Luckily, a lot of his works are being published again. Of this work, I'm only taking one chapter, his chapter on humility. Transformation in Christ. You can, if you don't want to get the whole book, you can get a smaller version of it by Sophia Institute Press, just that exerted chapter on humility. These two works I have uh, poured over um, in preparing the talk. I'm not going to mention every time I'm using it. In fact, it's kind of become part of uh, the background consciousness, so I, I wouldn't know which necessarily which work it is. Uh, there'll be a couple quotes, though, or a couple times what I'll go right to the text. So the first half, roughly, we'll spend talking about pride, and then we'll transition into talking about humility. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. That's from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. So pride is that vice which we can identify easily in others. We've, there's somebody, may go back to our school days, maybe somebody from 
uh, work, maybe uh, some family member uh, that we say, ah, oh, I can't stand being around him or her. She's or he is so full of themselves. All they talk about is themselves. You know, you know that person who you just told them about a wonderful vacation you had and they got to tell you about an even better one they had? Or you tell them about uh, something and somehow they suddenly turn it into something about themselves. Oh, when I did this, or I think this, or, you know, lots of, sometimes lots of statements filled with I. Okay, so we can identify it with others. In a minute we'll give a definition of pride, but let's look at some examples in Scripture first. Some of the stories from Scripture. Early on, we've got, I mean, the Tower of Babel, where it says, the people say, let us make a name for ourselves. And so there's an, an act of pride. And um, traditionally, it would be interpreted and seen, as the text indicates, that that is when the breakdown of language began, or the breakdown into various languages, and the breakdown of people spreading out all over the world. Other examples, though, and these aren't just one story, would be the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and the Egyptian Empire, which are seen as symbols of, of pride. Uh, the Assyrians, they boast, they come, and the Babylonians, they come up to the, the gates of Jerusalem, and sometimes through the prophets, God says, uh, you will not be successful. And has, uh, other times, God allows these prideful and boastful nations to be a means of punishing his own people who have given into a different form of pride, thinking that they're invincible because they have the temple, they have God on their side. Egypt, most prominently, uh, the example there would be with Pharaoh and how obstinate he is. It even says that God makes his heart obstinate, Pharaoh's heart obstinate, in the face of all those plagues, those signs of God, and yet his pride won't allow him to be humbled and to let the people go and, and worship God in the desert. The ultimate, um, well, if we go back even farther, of course, the primeval sin of our first parents is, is primarily a sin of disobedience and pride. Uh, and it's a participation in the revolt of, of Lucifer. So, um, Think about that. The, in several, there's several instances in Scripture that are alluded to of Lucifer, thank you, um, Lucifer's revolt against God. What was it in Lucifer uh, that caused an angel of such great beauty, such great intelligence to revolt against God? He was fascinated or caught up with his own beauty, his own greatness, and he allowed that to deceive him into wanting to be equal to God. And that will give us an indication when we get into the definition of pride again here in a moment. On those sheets that Father Mould gave you last time, um, he had a column marked disordered love between virtues and the vices. So, Remember that to have virtue and vice, you need to have some kind of passions or affections that get either ordered correctly or incorrectly. Now, this goes back to um, St. Thomas Aquinas and even the Greek philosophers that 
the virtues, or not the virtues, the passions are something that is, we might say that they're good because they're created by God, but in another sense, there's something that is neutral, that can either be good or bad. So take anger, for instance. Anger, when it's directed towards injustice, is actually something that is good. When it's disproportionate and it, or unfounded, then the anger becomes something that is, is evil or morally re uh, reprehensible. In the case of pride, what is the good that's there? Well, there is a certain, we know that we're supposed to have a love towards God, we're supposed to have a love towards our neighbor, but we're also supposed to have a love towards ourselves. So the disordered love is a disordered love for oneself in pride. Uh, it's a selfishness or an, an inward looking. The, um, again, we should bring this up from uh, last time that the affections or the passions can have both a negative and a positive element. So anger, we would classify usually as something negative because we tend to think of it in its disproportionate sense. Um, and love is something positive. Um, or hope is something positive and uh, maybe like despair is something negative or, or written, maybe better than despair, um, fear is something negative. That would be a better example. Uh, but when we say that something's positive or negative, we're not necessarily saying that it's morally good or bad because love can be morally uh, wrong when it's a disproportionate love or a love for something that there shouldn't, there should actually be anger or hatred. I love my sin. That's not good. Um, okay, now Aristotle again teaches us that virtue is the means between two extremes. In the case of a humility then, what is it going to be between two extremes? Well, too great or too little self-love. Okay, so again, just seeing the two difference. Now, pride can be seen, um, uh, can be compared to like a, the bipolar disorder, in this sense. I'm just using this as an analogy. I'm not saying that people who have bipolar are prideful. Uh, like bipolar, which has a manic and depressive, and has manic and depressive extremes, there are two poles of pride. Inflated self-regard and deflated self-regard. Yet both are excessively self-centered. The, man, uh, the manic pole is often referred to as pride. Sometimes we kind of limit the definition of pride simply to the manic. And the depressive pole, though, could be called false humility, which may be an exercise, actually, in self-pity. You've seen the person who said, you know, you give them a compliment. Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm nothing, you know. Or they, um, they, oh, I'm so bad, God couldn't, couldn't forgive me. Um, and they, um, they emphasize... Um, their um, unworthiness sometimes to actually get more attention. A good, uh, good example in scripture of somebody who exemplifies this other pull, this negative pull of pride, uh, it would be just Judas Iscariot, who refuses the forgiveness of God, uh, believing his sin to be so great that God can't even forgive him. So what is pride? Here's a definition actually out of Father da Bergamo's book. He says, Pride is an inordinate affection against right reason, by which man esteems himself and desires to be esteemed by others 
above what he really is. So humility, on the other hand, deals with truth. Pride, in a very real sense, um, is an untruth. It's seeing the world in an, um, a false way or a limited way. Now, Father de Bergamo is basing that off of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas there. He's kind of summarizing St. Thomas Aquinas. Another uh, definition of pride here, or kind of describing pride coming from Dietrich von Hildebrand, on the other hand, he says pride, and the Latin name is superbia, is not only by itself our primal sin or our first sin, it also inwardly contaminates all intrinsically good dispositions and robs every virtue of its value before God. This, the capital sins are all kind of the, you might say, the root sins which other sins come off of, but in a certain way, pride is the, the central root. Or maybe another example would be, imagine a tree uh, with major branches coming off of the trunk. The other six deadly sins are those major branches coming off but the trunk and the whole root system is pride. So even when we think we've eliminated pride, cut it down to a stump, a shoot will come up from it. You have to, the whole root has to be dug up. Perhaps even better than a tree, an example would be a dandelion. You know, those, that weed which you think you got all up and then it pops up again. So if you imagine the, when, it, uh, when a dandelion blooms and then goes into that white puffball, and you try and pull that white puffball, but you know a few seeds got away, and you're going to have three, four, or five more dandelions. That's sort of how pride is like. We try and get rid of it, but it seems to pop up in other places. And unlike um, the other vices, pride can even destroy our virtues. And we can go get to a point where we think we've... Um, we've made it, we're living the virtuous life, and then pride can ruin it because we're prideful of how holy we are or how virtuous we are. And now actually might be a good point to bring in uh, Benjamin Franklin's observation along this line. He says, in reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it. As much as one pleases, it is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it perhaps often in this history. This is his autobiography. For even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> so, you know, if you're already getting a little discouraged, it's going to get worse uh, before it gets better. The, uh, we can talk about the types of pride. Um, so we'll talk about the types of pride and then maybe how we can identify uh, symptoms of pride in our own life. Now, I thought of maybe calling these daughters of pride. Some of them are really just forms of pride. Others um, are closely related relatives. I'm going to run through a list and then of some that I thought of both through reading and just came to me off the top of my head. 
um, you could probably add to this list, and then we'll, we'll kind of work our way down through from the worst type of pride to lesser forms of pride. So, a moral superiority is one type. Intellectual pride. Perfectionism. And ironically, the opposite. Somebody who is, uh, doesn't care about things, le uh, leaves them to get... Uh, doesn't uh, take care of their things or is kind of sloppy in the way they take care of things, that can also be a form of pride as well. Pride of life. That's one that the scripture talks about. Pride of life. Pride of life, which is more of a state where somebody is, um, they are full of vice, but they see their vices as virtues. And they are proud of that. So somebody who is an example would be somebody who is um, obstinately resisting God's and um, maybe they're, pride, they're prideful about their wealth and what they have done and what they've accomplished, whereas in God's eyes, it is actually to their downfall. An unteachable spirit. Lack of forgiveness can be a form of pride, especially lack of forgiveness towards oneself. Final impenitence, where one uh, refuses to come to, to, uh, to sorrow for one's sins. Haughtiness, arrogance, hardness of heart, vanity, disobedience, selfishness. In a certain sense, um, pride and selfishness might be seen as synonymous. Um, I, these were not a list of order of which are the worst down to which are the least. That was just throwing out a random list there. But now let's talk about the worst type of pride and then kind of work down to some lower levels. So we have um, what uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand calls satanic pride. And it's the, the type of pride that Lucifer exhibits in his relationship to God. He wants all for himself. So there are some kind of people who can recognize values outside of themselves and they try and uh, uh, get those values for themselves because they are valuable. But Satan, he in a certain sense has an antagonism with all other virtues, all other things. He sees value that's not in himself as as an opposition or as a competition. And so he can recognize no other value than his own will. You might say that uh, what Nietzsche described as the will to power is typified by Satan. That, and therefore he hates God. So it's a pride that leads to, that is, leads to hate or is, is um, held at the same time with hate of anything, uh, any other value. It's seen as something competing with oneself. So the person who has this type of pride is um, going to have, um, is going to lack love, is obviously going to be in direct opposition to God. So the person who is, um, who makes themselves out to be a God, not just literally, but who, who wants everything to surround, to be as they will, who can't see the good in others, who can't see even the good in other things, only so far as they serve their will and their desire uh, uh, 
for self-fulfillment. That would be the worst type of pride. High up on the list there would also be, ironically, a spiritual type of pride. So we talked about a moral superiority or uh, a religious kind of uh, uh, sensibility of pride. So Dietrich von Hildebrand brings this point out very well. He says, the higher a good is, when pride enters in, it corrupts it all the more, making it an even worse vice. So the person who seeks, um, for an example, to use their position in religion, say a priest, a bishop, a religious sister, to serve their own pride, that's going to be worse than the person uh, who has vanity, who's uh, conscious about themselves. And that, or they're so prideful about them being the, 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 the person who would be perfect for this, um, this position or this role that they seek to advance themselves rather than allowing God to work on them. That's going to be a higher form of pride than other forms. We see this in sometimes people who, um, in moral superiority, they might, so there's not an antithesis here to, vert, uh, to other values as such, because they might acknowledge justice, they might acknowledge uh, being fair, or um, giving a, a good day's work, they will acknowledge certain human virtues, but they may lack charity, Person who is uh, so uh, person who values justice very much so, and can't stand when somebody is unjust to them, or doesn't seem to be carrying their part of the maybe. Maybe they seem to be uh, somebody who's just kind of hanging on. They might have a deep sense of justice there, and they may be very prideful about that. So a lack of charity is actually one um, uh, sign of pride. We should bring in, um, at this point perhaps too, that while humility is the opposite virtue of pride, uh, therefore humility is the greatest of the natural virtues. Charity is the greatest of the, not only the supernatural virtues, but we might say the the not only the theological, but the kind of, uh, yeah, supernatural, theological, or spiritual. On the natural realm, humility is the, is the greatest of the virtues. It's the handmaiden. Uh, so humility and charity are always going to uh, need to be going hand in hand. On Satan's pride, I'd like to read you a quote here from uh, Sister Lucia. This is a, a book that's not on humility, but there's an interesting little observation she has on pride in the angels. Let's see if I can find it. I thought I had it marked. Okay, I'll hold off on this and then later in the question and answer period I might try and find it again. So um, other forms of pride. I mentioned already uh, vanity, which is a much lesser form of pride, would be um, kind of that self-love, an excessive self-love in regards to one's appearance or how one is, uh, is seen by others. 
what often goes hand in hand with pride is um, how am I perceived by others? So the, the man, for instance, this is different than vanity, but the man who is, um, will, refuses to accept assistance from others. Uh, guys, this is manifested when we don't like to get directions. Okay. <laughs> uh, we want to do it on our own, even though we know we could probably get there faster if we ask somebody, no, I got to figure it out, I'm, I'm fine. Um, that, so vanity might be, might be more for women, this other type of pride, this is more for guys, where we, we don't want to be dependent upon others. Uh, that's a, a form of pride as well. We might, we might be just fine giving to others, helping others. We might like that because it might actually help bolster our pride. But we never want a handout because it appears to be weakness. And so pride is all about this image of ourselves, not only in relationship to ourselves, but in relationship to others. How are we perceived? And we can actually be very weak and have a lot of pride. What are some ways to identify this, um, this vice in ourself? I found a, a blog post. Uh, if you want to look at it later, you can. I didn't really read the whole thing. I just noticed the different types that were listed here, which I thought was good. It said, seven subtle symptoms of pride. Seven subtle or subtle symptoms of pride. Fault finding. If we fault finding. Yeah, there's a lot of um, repetition of the same consonants in these. <laughs> so when we look for faults in others, we may be doing that because we want to bolster our own self image. If I can take somebody down, then I can feel better about myself. I don't have to look at perhaps what's wrong in me because they brought so much more. And um, I can feel a certain moral superiority. We talked about how charity and humility go hand in hand. A harshness of spirit goes together with pride. So if we notice a certain harshness in ourselves, this can be also an indication of pride in us. Superficiality would be a third one. Again, kind of living on the, the level of appearances or a facade. Um, Facebook is a great, um, a great builder of pride uh, because we can have an image of ourselves to the world out there that we're trying to actually uh, believe ourselves about ourselves and it we know in reality that things are not as good as they appear to be. Not that everybody who uses Facebook is prideful. If I said that, then I would be manifesting pride since I don't have Facebook. <laughs> but it can be. It can be. Um, it can have a tendency towards that, let's say. It can be used very well as well for the kingdom of God. Defensiveness. The person who's prideful doesn't like to get corrected. I was talking with our um, high schoolers on this same subject, uh, I think it was a week or two ago, and I was saying, if you have an unteachable spirit, if you don't um, 
allow yourself to be taught, that's a form of pride. We may even know something, and we're easy to cut somebody off. Oh, I know that already, or you don't have to tell me that. But sometimes it's important to listen because, yes, we may know some of what they're saying, but there may be one little insight that that person has, or two or three, that may give us a deeper insight to it or give us a different perspective on it. Defensiveness. Sometimes, too, it may not be a correction, but we may take it as an affront. It may be an observation, a different viewpoint, and we might immediately become defensive. Or we've seen this in others, and we're like, well, that wasn't my point at all, and it was totally mis misunderstood or, or taken the wrong way. Presumption before God. Uh, the person who... Uh, sins and says, well, I'll just get forgiven. Or, God is merciful. God is merciful, but he's merciful to the person who's honestly and seriously trying to overcome sin in their lives, and not the person uh, who is taking his mercy for granted. Uh, of course, within presumption, there can be different levels. The, the ultimate uh, presumption would be where somebody... Um, is kind of hardened in their sin and believes that at their last moment they'll, they'll have the time to repent, which they aren't guaranteed. It's Often that person will not have that chance to repent, whereas the person who's just kind of oblivious of their sin going, kind of going on in their life, oh, God may give that person the chance versus the person who is consciously aware of this. Okay, two more. Uh, desperation for attention or attention seeking. If we're looking for attention, we're looking for feeding that ego, that self-love that we have. And so that also can be a form of it. Finally, if we're so caught up with ourselves, we if we neglect others, and we notice this in ourselves, this can be another indication of pride as well. Now, interestingly, even though we can see indications of symptoms of pride in our lives, it would be not quite right to have a list of, of things if, if you have these seven or eight things, then you're humble. Because it would, <laughs> it would actually uh, probably kind of work against it because, oh, yeah, I've got one, two, three, four, five, and six, uh, seven and eight, still working on those, you know, but... Um, Okay, some, some symptoms there. Now let's go back to um, how do we then counter pride? Uh, Father Moldigan talked about building up the positive in us, the, the contrary virtue to deal with the, uh, the vice that we're struggling with. So what is humility? We described what, what pride is. Let's first look at what humility looks like. The person who can acknowledge that they have gifts, but that they're from God, so they don't just say, oh, no, no, I'm not good at that. They, don't, they, they acknowledge they have the gift, but then they attribute it to God, or they pass it on the glory to God. The person who um, is confident, but not, doesn't 
use their personality or themselves to be kind of oppressive of others. You know, sometimes you can notice somebody's in the room by the sheer uh, uh, kind of weight of how they carry them, themselves or talk about themselves, or you can notice somebody there by uh, their gentleness, their humility as well. You know, people like, I think, John Paul II, uh, Mother Teresa, other people that we know in our lives who they radiate a, a calmness, a conviction, they know what they're about, they're not timid. Uh, and yet there's, not, uh, there's a great humility about them as well. We could, I suppose, uh, talk about um, types of humility as well. And, um, or maybe, uh, I'll mix in here not only types, but um, what I could say is other virtues or other characteristics that would go hand in hand with humility. A certain uh, silence, not that all silence is going to be virtuous or that all silence is an indication of humility, but the person who can listen to others, who can um, be silent and it's not like they're um, a recluse or they're like they're uh, just kind of opting out of the conversation, but it's an attentive silence. It's a silence that is um, listening to the other person, that is, um, and John Paul II had this, where people would say when they met him, even if he only spoke with them for a minute or two, as though they were the only person in the world who mattered to him at that moment. So again, an attentiveness, a silence, a kind of a pregnant silence, um, gratitude is a huge indication uh, or a huge uh, co-virtue. In fact, we might say that before Satan gave, or Lucifer gave in to pride or as at the same moment, there was also a great act of ingratitude. A, gra a huge act of ingratitude towards God. Ingratitude. In other words, he didn't acknowledge that all the gifts came from God. And so maybe one of the things that we can do most to counter pride in our lives is to make sure we're grateful to others, make sure we're grateful to God. And in this context, the axio gratiarum, which is in some old min, uh, missals notated for the canon or for the Eucharistic prayer, it's the action of, great, of, of thanksgiving, the axio gratiarum. The whole Mass is an act of thanksgiving, an act of gratitude. So the Mass can be seen as a preservative element if we truly enter into the spirit of the Mass against the spirit of pride. Uh, so if pride is an inflated view of ourselves, humility will be seeing ourselves imperfectly, yet nevertheless truly as God sees us. And that will have both this negative aspect in the sense of that we will realize our utter, utter nothingness. The only thing we can really claim as our own is our own will and our own sins. Every good act that we do has been preceded by divine inspiration or has been, we've been given the grace to respond 
to God's act. So it's properly God's, and we need to give thanks to Him. He allows us to share in it, but we couldn't even, we couldn't even act in a, a good way without His enabling us to. If Satan is the um, model of pride, Our Lady would obviously be the model of humility. Interestingly, I believe this is in St. Louis de Montfort. St. Louis de Montfort says that in this kind of weird way, Satan hates the Blessed Virgin Mary even more than he hates God. And I think it's because of the very virtue of humility. Because it's more painful to be defeated or put to shame by somebody who's less than you than someone who's greater than you. And so the very, he, Satan knows that God is all-powerful. He knows. He can't deny that fact. But the fact that a puny human creature would rise to the level and the position that he was destined for. So some would argue that Mary took, uh, some would argue that we, if we make it to heaven, take the place of the angels the, who fell. And so Our Lady would take that highest place which had belonged to Lucifer. And so to be defeated by a human being, to be defeated by a woman, is a great insult to his pride. And the person who's, who's prideful when their pride is wounded, it, lead, it leads to uh, a deep hatred or anger. So the, Satan is filled with hatred for the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, he's filled with envy at us because we will occupy the spots that they fell from. Again, from C.S. Lewis, pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. As long as you're on top of uh, king of the hill, but then as soon as that position gets threatened, then it rears its head again. So if that's pride, then on the other hand, humility doesn't make a comparison with others. It doesn't even make a comparison so much with what we think we ought to be. This kind of ideal that we hold up for ourselves. If anything, humility makes a comparison with God, between ourselves and God. And of course, we're always going to fall short there, and that's what will keep us humble or make us humble, but what keeps us um, from despair, because I don't know about you, but once I look, went through all this list of, of things that could be pride and how pride could undermine any virtue, I was like, ugh. What keeps us then not from falling into despair is the goodness of God. And that God has made us essentially good. And that he loves us and gives us his mercy. So another defense against pride is, to, is self-forgetfulness and loving ourselves as God loves us. So we kind of have to step outside of ourselves and love ourselves. We, the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
we might say for humility, we have to love ourselves as though we were the neighbor. How would we serve the other person? And it can be true that people can be very generous with others. They may not exhibit pride so much towards others, but in regards to themselves, they can be very harsh and hard on themselves. That perfectionism. Some other examples here, jumping back to pride again, of how pride uh, distorts our vision. Pride, uh, these are some quotes, um, not from me, but from a different uh, family member of mine who's done some reflection on, on pride and has shared, they don't know I'm sharing it with you, but I presume they'll be okay with it, but they shared a file with me. Uh, but this is why I'm not giving it to you as a, as a document, but just reading, just, so just reflect on these. Pride doesn't see with its eyes. Pride sees the reality projected by its mind. So, in other words, um, Father Mola, I know, mentioned this with you guys again last time. He talked about how the virtues and the vices intersect with our will and with our intellect. So when we choose something that is um, morally right or morally wrong, it doesn't only have an effect on our, our will, like weakening our will, for instance, or strengthening our will in the good, but it also has an effect on our intellect. So the person who is prideful, they can see things, but it's, screw, it's, um, it's skewed. It's kind of seen through a narrow lens. Pride sees with blazing clarity. Here's another little uh, one-liner. Pride sees with blazing clarity everything within its tunnel vision. Okay? So if you're like looking through a, a telescope, you can see that, uh, that thing and it's magnified. What you did to me or what, what, what happened there. But the whole rest of everything which would put it in context is destroyed. St. Augustine says, small wonder that pride gives birth to division and love to unity. I came across this quote recently in the reading the, the Breviary or the Liturgy of the Owls. So small wonder that pride gives birth to division and love to unity. Here's another one along the same lines of the tunnel vision. Um, pride surveys its world with blazing clarity except its own blindness. And pride acknowledges only the facts that it wants to exist. So those are some little, little liners. So um, one liner there. Uh, what about humility? Humility will seek to, instead of being a tunnel vision and seeing how the other person offended my, um, my dignity or offended me, it will try and see the wider vision even if it's not directly clear. It will make excuses for the other person or say, oh, that, that person probably um, didn't realize how they hurt me. They probably didn't realize uh, how I would take their words or maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe um, they did this. So, okay, moral superiority, somebody struggling with moral superiority, thinking I'm better than that other person, they can remind themselves, well, I've been given a lot of gifts by God. I grew up in a family where I, the virtues were instilled in me, or I've, I've come to a conversion 
where I've seen the world a different way and maybe this person hasn't had the same experience. So humility tries to uh, make exceptions for others or make um, ways to excuse them. In my family growing up, uh, it was often common that the dishwasher would break down, seven kids. And um, we would resort to having to wash the, hand, the dishes by hands. So uh, now as a priest, at first I felt really guilty when we had uh, somebody who came in and washed the dishes, put them in the dishwasher for us. But then I reassured myself that I had put in hours of washing dishes and probably had racked it up. Now, this is a quote. This one is a quote from my dad. He said, Washing pans is good for humility. It's hard to put on airs of being a world conqueror when your hands are in soapy water. <laughs> I agree with him for the most part, except I think somebody couldn't even be prideful about washing dishes. I say this based off of personal experience because as I was washing the dishes, I began to uh, think of all the ways that my siblings were not helping, and that I was carrying the load, and that I, was, I needed to get these dishes done because this was going to really help my family, and that it was all rested on my shoulders. So a lot of the merit that could have been won from washing dishes humbly, I think I lost. So um, let's talk about, we've talked about personal um, pride and humility. Let's talk about a couple other forms uh, of, of pride and humility in society or some ways that it can take on a societal significance. I did not read this. Somebody else pointed this out to me. Actually, um, our youth um, director, Bethany Rogers, did. Uh, so you might uh, want to look up um, Fulton Sheen's book on the virtues. And I think this comes from there. Sheen talked about how communism is a form of pride. Now, in a broader sense, all atheism is a form of pride. It's a rejection of authority, of God's authority. So many people who claim to be atheists, in reality, um, they've rejected God's authority. They're like a, um, it's like a rebellious teenager who, yeah, I don't have a mom or dad, uh, because they don't want to have one, because of the implications that that would um, involve. So, atheism is a form of pride. It can be a form of intellectual pride. Um, it borders on satanic pride, if not being satanic pride itself, that um, wants to resist God completely, put him at, uh, eliminate him, not make him a factor at all. Communism, then, would be uh, a political, social um, ideology that would be an embodiment of a very particular type of atheism that would uh, uh, have society function in a way that does not have uh, God. But ironically, um, in atheism, you're going to, because there's a desire in the human heart for something that's above um, above oneself, you're going to have other forms of God that arise. So in communism, it's the state. Um, in a softer form of uh, 
where atheism has kind of infiltrated the culture or a soft communism. It might be science, where the, the scientist um, becomes the priest of a new religion, and that religion being what human reason can discover and know. The um, Von Hildebrand, if you're interested in looking at this more, he gets into this in particular, this kind of um, ideology as a form of pride. And um, so in science, for instance, uh, the refusal to even uh, look at the possibility of saying, okay, well, we can look at this, let's look at it, what would it be if there could be uh, a universe without God, and then let's look at it as a possibility with what there is God. Even that unwillingness to even look at that as a possibility manifests a certain pride, a certain hardness of heart, too. Uh, other forms, like pantheism, where there's many gods that replace um, the one true God, um, are still a, a form of, of pride in that, um, think of back to like the ancient Greeks or the Romans. The gods of Homer do not act very well. They have superpowers, but they act uh, sort of like our movie stars. Uh, they they um, are put up on a pedestal, but the average human being, the average good citizen in the polis, lived a more virtuous and upright life than the gods that they worshipped. And so there can be a certain glorification of the base vices, or a worship of the vices, or a worship of ourselves, in uh, a society that has a pantheistic um, religion. The other um, form would be a kind of a new age or um, an environmental um, kind of attitude or an environmental kind of spirituality that would see what we call eminentism, where God's spirit or everything participates in the divine. There's a bit of the divine in the tree. There's a bit of the divine in the rock. There's a bit of divine in this podium. And we all participate in this. Well, the problem with that is that it, it's, it basically boils down to a materialism where, in a certain sense, it lowers man below what he is, because man doesn't have a soul that's eternal, that's made in the image of God. But while degrading man, it also answers in a certain sense this prideful desire. I don't have to respond to anyone else. There's nothing above man. And so while being degraded to the level of the tree, the rock, the podium, the chair, whatever, and maybe have kind of having this shared spirituality with everything else in the world, nevertheless, it leaves open the door for a very sinister type of pride. Or uh, think about how there's the, the idea to 
Make yourself whatever you want to be. Do it your way. There's so many different slogans that go, that go, uh, that one person in the youth group said, how about the just do it of, uh, slogan of Nike? I said, well, maybe that could be seen as a prideful thing. I don't, I, I said, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it could be seen in two different ways, but perhaps. Um, so uh, the self-made man, the self-made person, the, the person who wants to change their identity, gender changing, fits into a certain type of pride, too. I can control my body. I can control my destiny, my future. I don't have anything that's given to me that I have to respond to in gratitude or, or appreciate as something that comes to me as a gift. But rather, I can make myself to be whatever. So, in a certain sense, what we're dealing with now, with transgender and people wanting to come up with one of, what, 32, 50, 100, who knows now what it is, types uh, gender, is, is actually a form, can be seen as a form of, uh, a very radical form of pride. So humility, on the other hand, um, can be seen in, um, in certain right ideologies or philosophies in a Judeo-Christian um, background or society or in the philosophy of realism, which acknowledges things that are outside of myself, values that I have to respond to, Humility realizes that my, my very life, my body, is something that is given to me and that I don't have supreme power over. So humility is tied with gift. Pride is tied with um, a certain usurping or grasping, trying to cling to as my own and claim as something that's my own. We might, before going into kind of a question and answer period, we might consider going out from here uh, really reading more about pride and humility. This is the wonderful thing about MSOT talks is that it forces us priests to actually study something that we want to and uh, get it done. And I have found this extremely valuable for myself uh, reading about pride and humility, and I think if we, um, if you were to pick any one of the, the virtues, vices combo to look at, I would highly recommend first looking at pride and humility because it's something that you you know for sure, even if you don't want to admit, like I don't, uh, that I have it. Uh, you know for sure that it's something at some level is going to be there. Uh, of course, you can choose any one of the, the virtues and vices as we're going, but I, I would also recommend this as a kind of a general way to go forward with the rest of the classes this year is as you're learning about something, God's Spirit might speak to you and say, you might be convicted or you might say, you know, that's something I, I want to know or ought to know more about to maybe follow up on one of these things and, and dig into it more deeply because not only... Um, are you meant to get an intellectual formation here, 
not only a moral formation, but a spiritual formation. And um, God forbid that you would come to a talk on pride and be like, oh, now I know all about pride, and go away, and then uh, uh, it would lead actually to your demise and my culpability. So, okay, with that, let's end uh, with a hymn answer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Our Lady of Humility, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I can answer all your questions on pride, <laughs> and very few on humility. Okay? <laughs> Yes. Um, here. I'm going to go back to um, you were talking about humility, um, and you said that you were making the point that anything good in us we should attribute to God, all our good comes from God. That we only own our will and something else. Our sins. And when I when I said I, we own our will, we don't own the in the sense we don't own the power God's given us intellect, will, uh, understanding, reason. These powers. When I said we own our will, or we, it's the idea that we're the only ones who can give our free consent to God or withhold it. So it's our consent, that ability of our will, rather than the will itself, that we own. Yes. Pride would be a good thing if it's directed outside yourself. Like, I'm proud of my grandchildren, I'm proud of my country, I'm proud of my priests. Okay, uh, yeah, good question. I'm going to repeat it for Cola. Does everybody want to say hi to Cola real quick? <laughs> okay, so the question, Cola, was whether pride could ever be a good thing, whether it could um, pride in one's country, pride in one's uh, family, you know, priests, clergy. Uh, Perhaps um, we're using the word uh, for some other um, quality. Uh, we can have a healthy sense of, um, uh, say that, of thankfulness, yeah, for eat. For the family you have, for the country you're in. Yeah, it could, it, uh, I think it seems like it's even more than thankfulness. I think thankfulness would be a part of it. It would be um, a joy or um, uh, a sen I think it's fine to say that I'm proud of you or I'm proud of this, but we're using it in a different sense than the vice. We're using it in the sense that it brings me joy. It brings me fulfillment. I, um, when you are honored, I am honored. Uh, it's, it's, in, it's actually a response to value or something good in, some, in someone else. Well, in a way, it's a sort of sense of humility when you recognize the goodness of somebody. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not trying to destroy the colloquial use of, yeah. of, of pride or proud, being proud of something. But it might be good for us to reflect, too, sometimes when I, when I say or think I'm proud of something, is it really about the other person or the country or the priest, or is it something about myself? Because I might say, oh, I'm proud of uh, a sibling, a niece, a nephew. I'm proud of, uh, uh, I mean, we could even say I'm proud of this work because I felt like I did it, I worked hard, it was a good job. Or I can, I can be proud of it because uh, uh, 
it adds to my ego in some way. So that would be the wrong part. That would be the wrong part, the ego. You can be proud of it because you also acknowledge and you're thankful for God. I mean, you, you can be proud of your children, you can be proud of uh, something you've done. Right. You give God. Right. If it leads to a comparison, that's where it becomes wrong. So in the sense of like, if I'm proud because of my children, their accomplishments, what they've done, um, I feel that they've really done good work, and I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm happy for them. I feel, I feel that they've, they've done a good job, and it brings, uh, brings honor to them or to me. That's fine. If it becomes a comparison thing where... Um, I'm proud of them because compared to the rest of the schmucks out there, um, they've made a name for themselves. They, they, they're not part of the rabble, you know, then that's, then that's wrong. Okay. Um, that reminds me to something, uh, talk about glory. We sometimes talk about, uh, this is a related thing, vain glory. Glorying in ourselves or our works. The, um, there was this kind of sense of, uh, of glory in the ancient Roman and Greek empire that's still there. It's kind of, in a certain sense, it's this, it's, it can enter into uh, much of what nations do or what, um, in the Olympics, there's, there can be a certain uh, healthy honor uh, and excellence that's given to, but it can often uh, degrade into this kind of thirst or lust for glory uh, as well, which would be a, a form of pride. Uh, for religious, for priests, this would be um, a danger for them would be where they seek glory from their ministry or they attribute to themselves or their own actions things that would only belong to, to God. So that would be a very um, uh, sinister form of of robbery of what belongs to God, and that's uh, so. Pray. That's one thing. Uh, you know, we ask you to pray for your priest, but uh, in the context of pride, uh, particularly pray for your priests that they don't have. Um, uh, pray for me that I don't have uh, this kind of uh, glory in attributing things to me which only belong to God. There's two forms of that. One, really believing that it's oneself, uh, or two knowing and attributing it to God, but still kind of uh, taking or basking it in as though it belongs to oneself. On the other hand, you know, how you could pray for your priest um, is sometimes they can get discouraged and they can feel like nothing I do is good and, and then the devil could try to lead them into a false humility as well. So um, maybe that's another good way to go through the virtues and vices as well. Yes? Like the yellow signs that are placed on wet floors that say attention or caution, I would say yes, but with a limited degree. We can take, we can take pleasure in it, I think, briefly, and so long as, but if we start to meditate on it, boy, we're, we're, we so easily can slip. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anything else? Father, could you maybe address the idea of the 
how obedience or obedience to authority can help Right. So, I mean, we see in the first two original falls disobedience. I will not serve, Satan says. So, and, and a, a direct proclamation of uh, disobedience. And then when Adam and Eve fall, they disobey God in taking the fruit. So, disobedience is intimately uh, connected with pride. The the more someone seeks to be um, obedient or enter under obedience, uh, the more they're going to be disposed to the virtue of humility. This is why in the great tradition of religious orders, the three um, evangelical, or not evangelical councils, the three vows, yeah, three vows are evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience, um, that obedience has been raised to the level of a vow for religious, and for uh, a priest, it is a promise. Now, that might sound, oh, well, that's a lot less, but when the church uses vows and um, promises, they're used in relationship to who they're made. So a vow is made directly to God, but a promise is made to the church, the spouse of Christ. So Okay, a promise made to the spouse of Christ is pretty, pretty important too. It's just a difference in how it's made. So priests make, um, secular priests, diocesan priests make promises of uh, chastity, simplicity of life, and obedience to one's bishop. So uh, very important. And if you talk to any religious, at least so they tell me, or a priest who's been around the block for a while, they say, after a while... Um, yeah, chastity and poverty or simplicity, those aren't the real tough ones. It's the obedience one that's the really tough one. Um, if for, uh, for those who are not in religious life or in the, uh, the clerical state, um, ways that one can foster obedience would be, do I seek to obey, uh, as we heard in the gospel, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? Do I obey legitimate authority uh, in the government, the laws of the land? Uh, do I try and uh, somehow make excuses for myself? Do I seek, uh, even though it's not directly obedience, do I seek to submit my own will, my own preferences, um, die to self to my spouse? Do I seek to um, be selfless, uh, even though I don't need to obey as an adult my parents, do I give them some deference or do I show respect? Um, those are ways to inculcate or work at, at the virtue of humility as well that I would see. Any? Yeah. Um, one of you said that men don't like kissing his mothers, but I definitely don't either. But I always felt that it's more like preservation because you, ask, you can ask one for help. Mm -hmm. If you ask too much, it's not a good thing. <laughs> right. So. Um, Okay, and then the question from that would be? Well, you said that one type of pride is not liking assistance. Yeah. So, uh, so just elaborate on that more, or is there an, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, um, when does it go into pride and not just Being uh, self-preservation or self or, Oh, yeah, or not being a burden to other people. Yeah. And being a burden and being, you know, just can't do what do. Sometimes you have to experiment with it, I think. Uh, and if you found yourself going one way, 
be willing to make the, uh, the opposite error and go the other way, and then hopefully you'll end up in the, in the middle. So if somebody really struggles with asking for help, go ahead and, and do it, even if you're not sure, is this something that I should really just do myself? Other people may kind of give you feedback that'll let you know, and that might be a further opportunity for humility. What? Why are you asking for help? This is something you can do. Um, but it's better to um, err in the opposite direction. And sometimes you won't sin that way because if you're, you're um, naturally inclined uh, to, to get your work done, uh, do it in a, a good and orderly way, you maybe don't want to let others in because it will be imperfect. Uh, I'm that way. Uh, I'd rather do something myself than get help because uh, it might not be done the way I want it to. So we need to allow others to help us even if it's going to be imperfect uh, in order to kind of let go. Uh, and so we're less likely, uh, we're not going to be like just slouching everything off, be like uh, not doing what we need to. I think uh, then over time, by allowing um, others to help us, then we can kind of be, we're freed. We're freed because, because all of the vices, uh, and, and in particular pride, since we're talking about pride, um, limits our freedom. And so as we become more free, then we're able to more objectively see, do I really need help? Or can somebody, should I do this, just do this myself? Okay, we're at 3.40, just a couple more minutes. Yeah. Is uh, the ramp, uh, rampant relativism, yes. Uh, I think it is because, um, I haven't thought too much about it. Uh, how, do you, how do you see it as possibly a form of pride? Right. Right, in a certain sense, as long as you don't cross the line into my, um, my truth, I'm okay to accept yours. But then when it, this is where it breaks down, then when you cross into my realm, then, you know, then I go berserk. Right. I think it is, because if, if humility is seeing the world and reality the way it is, and pride is seeing it, um, only in a limited way the way I want to, then in a certain sense maybe pride is, um, a, is itself a, a form of relativism. It's an opinion. You know, notice in the gospel today the Pharisees, disciples, and the uh, Herodians, they almost try and get Jesus into this um, relativistic way of looking. This, we know that you don't appreciate or that you don't really hold anyone's opinion up. What's your opinion, though? Instead of what's the truth? Um, so, yes. Anyone else? Okay, good. All right. That's all, Cola. <laughs>